If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. So hi everyone, um, this is Erin and I am going to interview Nicole today because Nicole has something that she is great at and I am terrible at. So um, today I'm going to be asking Nicole about the 5E model. Um, this is something that I've tried to implement in my class and it is just kind of falling apart somewhere in the middle and so I'm hoping that Nicole can help me out with this. So um, Nicole, can you start by telling us what the 5E model is? Yes. Okay. So I'm super excited to talk about the 5E because it's pretty much my favorite topic aside from NGSS or like tied in with NGSS. Um, but the 5E model, it's an instructional model for units. So that's one of the big misconceptions I think with it. We think it's for lessons in the sense that a lesson is done like all in one class period or even in like one or two class periods. Mm -hmm. And in reality, the NGSS is a longer sequence. So you would use it like for your unit. Um, and it's also not linear, but I think we'll talk more about that a little bit later, but that's another big misconception. Um, but so it's an instructional model for units. I like it because it fits into the normal kind of classroom routine. I mean, I would have loved to work at a school where you design video games and you learn everything you need to know about everything through designing video games and that kind of like project-based instruction, but I never have, and I don't see that happening in the near future. Um, so the 5e allows for the type of exploration that really you want to move toward with your NGSS aligned lessons, but it can happen in your normal classroom routine where the kids come in for 40 minutes or 60 minutes or 90 minutes, they leave, they come back the next day, so on and so forth. Um, it works well when you are trying to just plan one unit at a time and you don't have time to think about your entire year long uh, curriculum and everything that you need to teach students that you, you know, the type of planning you might have with a project based curriculum. Um, and it really provides like a structure when you're designing your NGSS aligned lessons to kind of move students through their understanding. So it's a very structured way of developing student understanding. There's a lot of freedom with it even though I said it was structured, you know, there's a lot of flexibility with it, a lot of freedom with it, but it gives you kind of a stepping stone so you know what should come next. So those are some of the reasons why I like the 5e, um, but the important thing that you need to know right now is just that it is an instructional model for units. <laughs> Sounds good. And if I like 
had a great idea for a project, I could still use the 5e model, right? If I were, if I had a great idea for, for project-based, I could still use this model. Oh, right? absolutely. So when I think of project-based, I think of like every single activity is leading up to a final project mm -hmm. and you can still absolutely have students work through the 5e as a way to lead toward a project um, and so on. But you just don't have to do that. You just don't have to do it just because project-based is very, it's challenging and it takes a ton yeah. of planning to, to get it all together and, you know, so. Yeah, and I think with um, the people who are doing that really well have like these year-long um, storylines and yes. I know I'm not there yet, so. No. And that's why, yeah, it's something that you can just do right away. Like you don't have to have months and months to plan things ahead of time and, and locate the resources and so on and so forth. You can just dive in like this unit, this lesson, this instructional sequence, I'm going to start the 5e and you're ready to go. Sounds good. Okay. So um, can you talk a little bit about each of the 5e's? Oh, okay. like, go yes. Ahead. So the 5E is an instructional model, um, and there are five stages of the 5E. That's where it came from. And they all obviously start with the letter E. Um, and I mean, that was just kind of like a gimmick to help people remember. But you start with engage, um, and engage is typically a short activity, maybe five to 15 minutes. I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time on engage because its real purpose is just to have students generate questions. Um, you can also have it, it activates prior knowledge. So it's probably how you've already been starting out most of your units. Um, you just want to kind of pique student interest, activate any prior knowledge, get them thinking about the topic, and then asking questions. The only time your previous engage activity might not be a good engage is if it's giving you the answers. Students should not walk away from engage with answers. They should walk away with questions. Then you get into explore, and this is the most important of the 5e activities because this is where students really begin to make their meaning. So they, this is where they begin to start to develop their understanding. It typically takes the longest. Um, it might be 20 minutes, but it might be a two or three day series of activities or one really long activity. Um, and typically explore is tangible. Students are doing something. This is where your science and engineering practices 100% come in. Students are using a practice to figure something out, like carrying out an investigation to figure out how photosynthesis works, or um, analyzing a set of data to understand the relationships in ecosystems, um, examining, observe, making observations of different chemical interaction or interactions between substances to see if a chemical reaction has occurred. Um, so they are really, they're exploring and they're trying to come to your content idea. So whatever your disciplinary core idea is, they're working their way toward that idea through your activity. Okay. Um, and it, it's like, you know, something real world based and all of that kind of stuff. Yes. You want to, um, this is where you would tie in with the NGSS. This is where you tie in your investigative phenomenon. Okay. Uh, so you might, you know, show them a Coke can that, a warm Coke can that has no condensation and a really cold Coke can that accumulates condensation and students are exploring and trying to figure out and talk. They're talking to others. That's a big part of explore, thinking about their ideas, sharing their ideas, trying to make sense of what they're seeing. Um, so yeah, something like that, like a phenomenon. It could be right in class, like with the Coke cans, or it could even be like a set of data or a, a video or, you know, sometimes you can't bring your phenomenon right into class, but there's other ways that they can investigate it. 
So that's the explore. Um, and then explain, I have, this is not like an official thing by the creators of 5e, but the way I see explain, and I think that this helps teachers understand what explain really is, is that there's two parts. There's the first part where the students put their ideas together. And then there's the second part where the teacher provides activities that clarify the understanding. So in explain part one, this is maybe like 15 to 20 minutes. This is where students are um, talking about what they did during explore and trying to make sense of it. So if during explore, they were mapping earthquakes and volcanoes and ocean trenches on a map. During the first part of explain, they're gonna look at their maps and try to figure out what does that tell us about what's going on inside of Earth's interior and how can we connect that to like plate tectonics and the idea that um, matter is moving in the mantle and so on and so forth. So they're having discussions and they're trying to figure out what does our experiences during Explore mean. This is again where they're trying to come to that disciplinary core idea. The second part of Explain is where you have your typical, um, okay, now we're gonna read a short text about it, or we're gonna watch a video about it, or we're gonna do some notes about it, or whatever it is. It's where the teacher kind of takes what students have learned, and we're just gonna make sure we're all on the same page, and we're gonna clarify and give you the scientific vocabulary you need, and just kind of succinctly summarize what you've learned. That's like the second part of explain. And then there's elaborate and evaluate. Evaluate your assessment, but really assessment is occurring throughout the whole unit, like formatively. Right, right. And then elaborate is where you're just doing kind of extensions and practice. So again, it's like what you've probably normally done in your classroom for years and years and years, your worksheets, your practice labs, your um, just different like review questions, anything like that. You're just kind of practicing, reiterating, applying to a new situation maybe, connecting to current events, um, deepening that knowledge. Okay, I, I, so I already am having some like light bulb moments here, so I'm gonna try to make sure that I like get all of these things. Um, so first of all, like in your engage activity, would that be like your anchoring phenomenon for the unit? Yes, so your anchoring phenomenon is for sure engage, but you might have additional engage activities throughout the whole unit. Okay. Like if, you, if you're introducing another new topic that you want students to generate some new questions on, you might have another short engage activity. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, but yeah, like your first anchor is definitely engage, but don't be like afraid to, the way typically I've developed my units, I might have like two, two to three instructional, like 5E sequences within the unit. So I might have another small engage at the beginning of each of those. Okay, so when you're like, when you're mapping out your, your unit, how many performance expectations do you typically put in there? Um, usually two to three. So I might bundle um, maybe three to five together, but within like one sequence, I'm probably only gonna address two or maybe part and maybe parts of a third. Okay, and then kind of, do you come back around to it or do you? Yeah, so then there might be an assessment at the end, but then that fully assesses those standards. And then I might have bits and pieces of it in the next sequences assessment. So that it kind of like builds on each other um, yeah. without it being like too long or too, 
too much in one assessment is okay. the way to break it down. Yeah. So then you mentioned that, um, that the engage activity should, should really be looking at your investigative level phenomena. Yeah. Um, and I think that you've kind of already said this, but I just want to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly. So you would do it, you know, if I'm planning this unit over the course of three weeks or whatever, mm -hmm. um, that's a short unit, but, um, but we wouldn't do, we would go to back to the engage activity or sorry, not the engage activity, the explore activity, um, more than once, like not necessarily the same explore activity, but we could go back to explore. We don't have to like, yes. So the five is not linear. You might start with engage and then you pretty much always go into explore because right. that's where you start. Um, and then you might, maybe you'll have two or three ex explore activities that all are going to help students understand one thing. Like maybe you have two different activities that are going to help students understand condensation and precipitation. So you have two explores and then maybe you go into an explain afterward where you connect all of those ideas together. And then maybe you go back to explore again, because now that they know condensation and precipitation, now you want to get into evaporation. And I don't know necessarily why you would do that order, but, um, but whatever. Um, but yeah, you, you can go back anytime you are adding new content, you're going to go back to explore because that's how the students discover the content. Yeah. I think that like my big problem that I'm having with this is, is that I feel like it's, supposed to be linear and I get to um, explain and then I just stop because I'm like, but there's so much more that I need to be doing. I don't feel like I'm ready for them to elaborate. I don't feel like yes. I can evaluate them at this point. Um, and I think that that is one of the places where I'm really getting hung up in this is that I feel like I have to keep going before I yes. go. Yeah. No, I absolutely, I like explore and explain typically always go together. And like when I develop activities or units or lessons now, um, whether they're for like teachers pay teachers or for the I explore science website, um, I always put explore and explain together because there's no, like, there's no hard line between the two. Right. They're taking what they didn't explore and making sense of it right. and making meaning from it and explain. So you can't really, you can't really divide up those two. But after that, you could go on to elaborate or you could go back and explore another concept that they need to add in order to get to your big idea. Sounds good. Um, I really also like the way that you said that you broke up um, the explain phase into two different chunks. I think that also feels better to me because, you know, I was trying to, you know, we're trying to put the emphasis on what students are doing and taking you know, most of the emphasis away from what we're doing in the classroom and, you know, de-emphasize that direct instruction. And I really felt like, like it was too much in that explain phase. So breaking yeah. that. Um, and then you mentioned it before, but can you kind of talk about where you would put vocabulary? Yes. So vocabulary is going to come in in the explain phase. So you're definitely not going to front load it at the beginning of a unit. Um, and you're going to basically add it in as it naturally arises during the part one of explain. So let's say students, you, you've done an activity and students were learning about different ways that animals interact in Africa. And they say that all of these animals, you know, the cheetah and the zebra and the lion and the gazelle and, oh, not in Africa, but the hawk and the mouse, one of them eats the other one. Like in all of these interactions, somebody gets eaten. 
So if a student tells you that idea, that would be when you would say, that is a perfect way to describe predation. One animal eats another. And then you've given them the vocabulary and you've used their example. So during explore, they don't have the language to talk about it. They're gonna give you like, everybody gets eaten or um, water drops form on the can. <laughs> Like, I don't know what it's called, but there's water on there and there wasn't water before. Right. Um, and you are going to, during that explain part one phase, that's when you say, that is a great example of condensation. And then you give them the vocabulary term and then you can give them the definite, like the official definition too. Um, but they've already really understood the meaning. So it doesn't really matter what definition you give them because they're the one that came up with the meaning and they're just matching their meaning to the word. Right. Well, and um, I find that students will sometimes, especially with things like condensation, where it's more, you know, like you've heard that word before in, you know, your everyday life, yeah. um, that students will start kind of using that term early and that you, you know, you really want them to, you know, can you ask them if they can actually explain what that means? And most of the time they can't. So, you know, yes. I'm really trying to get them to describe what they're seeing and not just, you know, using this term that they don't really understand. Yes. Um, so Paige Keeley has she does all of the um, uncovering student ideas and science books yeah. and they're these little probes. And she has one that is um, about wet jeans outside on a hot day and students have to describe what they think happened and there's options. And one of the options is the water went into the clouds and like all the students pick the water went into the clouds mm -hmm. because that's evaporate, you know, in their brain, that's evaporation because there's always an arrow that shows the water going into the clouds yeah. when yeah. in reality, the water is actually just in the air around them right but they don't realize that or they think right. that evaporation is the clouds when in reality condensation is what's forming the clouds so you have that disconnect when and when you're using languages you're or when you're using that vocabulary prematurely they're coming in with all those misunderstandings when you just focus on like what's actually happening and mm -hmm. and then lead them to you know what what term you really want it to be so then if you are um you know this was a light bulb moment that kind of came up a couple weeks ago, I think, is that, you know, really separating out your vocabulary and, you know, that you should be teaching it exactly in context and not, you know, providing it to the students in like, you know, a big, I don't know, like writing it all down in their notebook. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I haven't been front loading that for a while, but do you have any ideas for like how you would get students to organize that so that they could use it later? Um, so I, well, whenever I'm like doing an activity that is going to flow into like vocabulary, mm -hmm. I usually like, you know how we always did the columns of like, here's the word and then here's the definition. Yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of times I'll have them somehow come up with the definitions. Like if we're doing interactions, I might just be like, list the different ways that organisms can interact or like describe the different ways that organisms can interact. And maybe it's from some sort of activity we've like a specific activity. So they have the examples written and they tell me you know, this is, this is the ways that they interacted. Or like a water cycle simulation. How did the water move? Well, in this example, the water moved into the ground. In this example, the water moved from liquid on the ground into a gas in the air. So I would have them do like the definition part first in their own words, mm -hmm. and then add the vocabulary and after. So okay. it might be like the same kind of chart that you would have given them in the past. Just flip it but just flipping it. So like yeah. they're basically writing down the definition first in their own words 
then you're adding in the vocabulary like in the discussion, but you, I mean, you've already done that in the discussion and then you're writing it afterward. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, definitely. I also, um, I've heard a lot of teachers say, and this was one of my big concerns when I first started doing NGSS was, well, what about your ELs? What are they going to, you know, how are they going to understand everything if they're, if they're not getting that, that vocabulary front loaded. And one yeah. of the things that I've found is, is that um, my EL students do so much better when they're learning that vocabulary in context. And then I'm getting yes. a word that, that matches that observation that they're having. So, um, but I yes. just didn't know how to organize that for them. So that's super helpful. Sorry. That's kind of like how I've done that. So I still do the same kind of, you, you might have yeah. a, a page in your notebook or something like that, but when we're constructing the definitions, here's the example or the meaning first, and then let's add in the words after. No, but actually in what you said about like the ELLs too, I think that totally makes sense because like even when you're learning, you know, like Spanish classes and things like that, right. you know what a chair is because you know what a chair is. And then right. you just apply the word. Right. But for a student who's learning science and doesn't understand the concept, and then you're giving them the word for a concept they don't even understand. Like, no wonder that they don't understand it. Yeah, definitely. No, I know it like so many times in my first couple of years teaching, you know, like I would teach them the vocabulary and they wouldn't use it. And I'm like, ah, and now they're using vocabulary really well. So. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. My, my next question is, I really feel like my lessons kind of fall apart in that elaborate phase because I feel like I can only give students or sorry, in that second piece of the explain phase, because I feel like I can only give students more information at that point by like lecturing or giving them something to read. So is there anything else that you do so that you're not constantly doing either lecture or <laughs> like, like a Yes. Um, so I have done, um, like I think videos are an awesome thing to do in that stage because all the kids like videos and you can just have questions that go along with the video. And it's the same concept as like a text or a lecture. And that's why it should come after the students have already understood the big things, but it's going to fill in little pieces. Um, so videos, like I really like, um, like for high school Khan Academy, I had brain pop. Yeah. Um, I, I really like that. You have to pay for that. But the Amita sisters on YouTube have really good videos. There's like good, I mean, National Geographic, things like that. Those are all good. Um, I also like to do simulations. So that's um, like, and when I'm thinking of simulation, it's not necessarily like a hands-on one. I'm thinking like more like the web kind of ones where you like press different parts of it and it gives you information pops up. So maybe it's um, like, I think it was Noah I was on today had one about the water cycle and it has all these different terms um, and you, can, you click on it and information about groundwater pops up. Mm -hmm. or, so that's another one that I've used a lot. Um, I've done... Um, like activities where maybe they get like we do stations and there'll be an example um, and maybe a couple questions and then maybe a link to something online that goes deeper into it and maybe students are just just discussing um, you could do labs and this is where you could even do kind of your confirmation labs yeah um, and I know we like have said and we always do say like stay away from those cookie cutter labs yeah. but this is elaborate is basically or I'm sorry um explain and then elaborate the second part of explain and elaborate are basically where you can tie in all of your old activities yeah um as long as you're tying in the three dimensions of it 
but you, you can use those activities because students are, have already developed their understanding of the big idea and they're just practicing. Okay. And so much of what we did in the past was either me telling you more information or you practicing that information. So those are good, good activities for explain. Basically anything you did before, textbook, okay. lectures, notes, um, vocabulary organizers or different ways to interact with vocabulary or reorganize vocabulary, um, the simulations, kind of the cookie cutter labs where you're just kind of practicing and seeing it again and clarifying. All of those are good for your explain phase. That's good to know. And then, so like sometimes I use simulations kind of earlier in my instructional mm -hmm. sequence when it's um, like I would say maybe in the explore phase when I'm kind of trying to build some of the background information that I know that students don't have that they're supposed mm -hmm. to be coming in with. Um, like there's a vet simulation that I use where um, where it's I think it's like forces in motion. Mm -hmm. It um, it talks about like balanced and unbalanced forces, and to me that's kind of you know something that they should come in to class knowing, but yeah. they don't have that you know that basic understanding of you know that unbalanced forces create motion. So I kind of give them that piece towards the beginning. So um, yeah, I think that one of the things that I'm hearing is is that like depending on how you frame something, it could be like a simulation. Yes. Always have to be like an elaborate thing or. Exactly. Yes. And it depends. There's, I feel like there's, first of all, two types of simulations. There's the kind where you are supposed to press the buttons in the, this order, and then you end up with this thing. And that's more of a confirmation lab or like a thing that should come later. Yeah. But if you have more of a simulation that's open-ended, like I can choose any of these variables and then I can just see what happens. Yeah. That's more of like the explore. Yeah. So it depends how it's designed and it also depends how you're telling them to use it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, okay. Um, so I have two more questions and they're going to kind of not really fit into this um, like linear, like we've kind of been going through this linearly. Um, but so what are some strategies that you have to help students during the explain phase? Um, okay, so the, like the first part of explain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So again, the first part of explain is where students are like making meaning from what they experienced. So they're doing most of the talking, first of all. Um, so what I have done and I found is really helpful and in the explain phase, but also in focusing what they do and explore, it helps them. It like reduces the level of frustration that you get when you tell students like, go figure it out <laughs> or like puzzle it out. You can do it. And they're just like, no, no, just tell me the answer. Um, so I use guiding questions a lot and I give the students these guiding questions in the explore activity. So I call them like analysis questions usually, and they might be prompts or they might be questions. It might be like prompts to record some sort of specific observations or ideas or what they think is happening. It could ask, them to like draw a picture of what they think is happening. Um, and then the questions are designed to help them make connections. So um, I might ask them to like look at two different things they were writing observations about. Um, look at the salinity of the water and what had happened after you dumped in the other water or something like that. Mm -hmm and then ask them to draw some conclusions after looking at those two variables. So these like guiding questions that help get them to whatever big idea I want them to come to. So I start with that. 
And then when we are get into the, that's in the explore phase. Then when we get into the explain phase, we can start our conversation with those questions. Okay. And it's not like a, here's a question, here's an answer, here's a question, here's an answer. I usually try to focus, like begin with, well, what did you guys think? What did you guys see? What did you guys notice? What patterns? What do you think the explanation is? Um, just kind of like big picture thoughts and feedback. And then using like further questioning to guide them like to that, to that idea. Okay. Um, and I also try to get students to talk to each other and to respond to each other's ideas. Yeah. So you can do things like before a big group discussion, first they have to write down their own, so they've done this during an explore, write down their own ideas. Okay, now talk to your partner about your different experiences during explore. And what are what similarities? What are some differences? Do you agree with each other? Do you disagree? Um, and kind of like work their way up to the whole group discussion. Right. Um, and then you can always do things like prompt cards to help students participate. Like if you have a class that just nobody wants to talk, mm -hmm. give them questions or cheat, like cheat sheets, bookmarks, anything like that with prompts to help them respond to somebody else. I agree with you because I disagree right. with you because I would add to your explanation. Right. Especially if you have like a class with a lot of ELs or, you know, something like that, where you wanted to structure that, that conversation. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, they, those can really help students just get started. Um, and then one other thing that I like to do during explain um, is really emphasize what students are saying. So if a student gives me an example, like of evaporation, in a, in a, I saw a puddle outside and it was really hot and later in the day it was gone. When I talk about evaporation next, I'm going to tie it back to that person's response or that person's example because it like validates their their input. It recognizes that they like made a valuable um, like input to the conversation. Like so, it's like building confidence. It's building um, like ownership of their learning and of the of the class's learning and all of that. And I found that that also kind of helps students want to participate and you know feel like they're valued and and all of that. Um, so, and then something else I've kind of been thinking about, like when I'm building out my sequences is, is that, um, we still need to teach students like lab skills, like using beakers and using graduated cylinders and all of that kind of stuff. So where would you recommend putting that kind of, you know, skill work? Um, I would just do that like when it's relevant, like right before. And I don't think you need to do any kind of elaborate, um, explore activities for like how to use a ruler. Um, I think, but when I wouldn't front load that, like at the beginning of the year, like let's do all of the lab skills and right. now you know them all. I just would do it like build it in as it's relevant. So if you have an explore activity where they're using beakers, you spend a few minutes at the beginning talking about using the beakers or something. Um, and I just wouldn't spend too much time on it just because it already takes so much time to do like NGSS style learning that it, yeah, it would be great if we could do a ton of different labs that look at, you know, accuracy and precision and things right. like that. But in reality, we can talk about those concepts by looking at our data afterward, but let's right. just, let's just get the activity. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the reality is for the most part, most labs and stuff that you're doing don't like the accuracy and precision don't matter as much until 
like late high school. Right. Yeah. So beyond. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's like, I would just kind of right at the beginning of whatever, whenever you're going to use it, kind of review that. And again, I wouldn't necessarily do anything super special to review it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Especially like if kids have used the equipment before, you shouldn't have to, you know, spend you're introducing some new equipment or something like, you know, right. Yeah. And I mean that like, if you, if maybe microscope skills are a really important part of your seventh grade curriculum and students don't use microscopes prior to that, maybe you do have a short unit where you are using a 5e approach. Like let's explore what happens when we change this thing on the microscope or, you know what I mean? And you could very well use an explore approach to have them understand the technology. I didn't even think about that, but microscopes are kind of unique because they take so much time to figure out how to use. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, so like you could definitely use it, but for kind of just your general like beakers and yeah, you know, spring scales and, you know, stuff like that, you might, if you can, if you can just breeze through it, I would just kind of okay. breeze through it. <laughs> so um, oh, I also want to spend some time talking about that evaluation piece, but we are going to do that in... Um, in a lot of detail in a separate show, right? Yes. Yeah. We'll definitely get into like assessments and all of that in another episode, but, um, evaluate with the 5e evaluate encompasses both your summative assessment, which is like your big 3d assessment at the end of the unit where students are meeting their performance expectations, um, or have they've met them throughout the unit or whatever, but, it also is integrated throughout your activities formatively. So just like, I mean, we've all learned in our teacher education programs and all of that, that you should be assessing your students in some way or another throughout your unit. And it's just important to note that that's occurring with the evaluate phase. It's not just something you tack on at the end. You're still throughout your unit looking at what students understand um, and using that to like shape your discussions, address misunderstandings that they've developed or that they still have, so on and so forth. Um, I have found that with the 5e model, I don't do a ton of like quizzes or anything like that as formative assessments. I do, it's like the conversations, it's the explore activities, it's the elaborate when they're applying, you know, we explored it, we've made sense of it together and now you're applying it and you're showing me that you still, you understand it. Like that's where I see, I feel like the evaluate comes in. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot more conversations that I'm having in my classroom. Cause yeah. I'm, like, uh, you know, when I first started doing this, I felt like, you know, what am I supposed to do here? You know, all the kids were, were working and I was just kind of, yeah. you know, but now I have, you know, since I'm not directing the class, I have that time to spend talking to kids and actually seeing what they understand. Yes, exactly. So that is where I think evaluate comes in with the 5e model. It's, it's, not like these formal little breaks where you do like an understanding check every, every class or every, or a quiz every two classes or something like that. It's just with these conversations you're having with students and looking at their work and how they're applying the content and how they can explain something new that you, you show them. Um, it's just like those interactions that you're evaluating their understanding. Sounds good. I feel so much better. I really felt like I was just totally, I was like, I'm never going to get this because I, like I said, I think that I'm just so nonlinear that trying to approach something in such a linear way was just feeling very constraining. So I'm, I, but it's not linear. So now you're freed to do whatever you want because it's not linear. <laughs> yeah. It's just free, freestyling. 
Sounds good. <laughs> yes. So that is the 5E model. It's my favorite topic ever. If you have questions about it, please um, like hop into our Facebook group or you can comment on like the blog or send us an email or whatever. I love the 5E and talking about how you can use it with the NGSS. Yeah. And I will try to use it in my classroom a little bit more. And Maybe you can do a, an episode all about how you've used the 5E and your experiences. Yeah. Sounds good. But start to finish. Nicole the questions. Because <laughs> I get those questions all the time. I'm like, ask Nicole. Uh, well, thanks. You can pass it on to me because I love talking about the 5E. It's my favorite. Um, okay. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.